Well, good morning. morning. I was thinking about all the folks that hear our services during the course of the week. Those of you that gather here at the Colonial Heights campus, those that gather out at the Melothian campus, those who listen to us over the internet, those that listen to us down at our beach campus. Okay, we don't have a beach campus. But I keep putting that plug, putting that thought out there so that I hope maybe it'll take root somewhere along the way. And I know of a pastor who would volunteer to to go there and help. Well, we have slipped into August and our pastor is away on vacation this weekend. You know, July and August are kind of vacation months, aren't they? They're kind of the highlight of the vacation time, I think, partly because school is out and partly because we're kind of celebrating we got through the first half of the year. I remember as a kid growing up out in the country on the farm, and we had a clothesline in the back, and it was one of those old farm clotheslines. It stretched from a post out at the far corner of the yard in this direction all the way across the yard to the distant corner over here, and then in the middle was what was called a prop stick. And that prop stick was there because that old clothesline couldn't hold everything up, and in the middle it would droop, and so you'd put the prop stick there. And I've thought a lot about it as an adult, and I think vacation is kind of our prop stick. It gets us from one end, January, to the other end, December, and it kind of lifts us up in our droopiness. So as we think about that, think about it being vacation season, where's your favorite vacation destination? Maybe you'd like to go to the beach. That's a beautiful picture. Who wouldn't like that? Or maybe you're more of a mountain person, and so you'd rather head out to the mountains. Or maybe you just want to get away and spend a little time down at the lake. Maybe that's your option. Now, I've been fortunate enough to be in those places. Those are all pictures I've taken at various destinations we've been at. But what's the best vacation destination you've ever been to? And, and you think about thinking ahead... What's that bucket list vacation destination? That place you've always dreamed of and thought about? Well, this morning I want us to think about a destination. It's not the beach, it's not the mountains, it's not the lake, and it's not a bucket list destination, not that place we want to make sure we go to before we die. No, what I'm talking about is something that's far better far bigger than all of that. It's the ultimate destination. And it's talked about so many places throughout Scripture. But one of the places in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, and we're going to put that up on the screen. It says, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Now Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the roll call of faith. You read through that chapter, what you see are names listed over a course of that whole long passage. And it's talking about men and women who have lived lives of faith. In fact, it describes them using the word faith over and over again. It says, by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Moses. And then the writer of Hebrews actually goes on to say, and I don't even have time to tell you about folks like Gideon and David and Samuel and Samson. And it doesn't take a biblical scholar to read through that chapter and figure out 
What is it that these people have in common? Faith. It shows up over and over again. But another thing they have in common is this right here. This desire for a better country. For something more. For something ultimate. It says they want a better country, but not just a better country, a heavenly one. So that's the destination we're going to be talking about actually both this week and next week. And you know, when you get ready to go on an earthly trip, headed towards an earthly destination, there's some things you do in planning and preparing to go there. And what I want to do this morning is take some of those same ideas, those same principles, and apply them to this destination. Apply them to heaven. And so we're going to look at God's Word as our travel guide as we think about preparing for our travel destination. Now, when you're getting ready to go somewhere, getting ready to go on a trip, getting ready to go on vacation, you want to know something about the destination. That's kind of the first step, the first stage. You want to know something about it. Now, my wife is the queen of that. She wants to know everything she can know before we even start thinking about packing. And so she'll find out, okay, what's the hotel like? Do they have a microwave and a refrigerator in the room? Do they have an indoor pool and an outdoor pool? Do they have uh, good transportation? Are we going to have to take our car everywhere? You know, what are the amenities that are there? It's a lot easier to do that now and know what you're getting into than it was back before the Internet, isn't it? Back years ago, you kind of had to, you know, maybe pick a brand of hotel, a particular brand, because you knew, okay, that's going to kind of be the same all across the country. And then sometimes you'd hear the name, and the name would just make you think about what it was going to be like. I remember when Sue and I were first married, we went up to Pennsylvania for a wedding of one of her college friends. And Sue was a bridesmaid in the wedding, and so the bride said, well, I'm going to get the hotel rooms and arrange them for all the bridesmaids. Now, she knew that all these bridesmaids had just graduated from college with her, and nobody had any money, so she was keeping that in mind as she booked our motel rooms. She booked us at a place called Mama Dinger's Budget Motel and Coin Laundry. And so that name kind of set our level of expectation. But I have to tell you, it was nowhere near as nice as the name would imply. But you kind of plan that. You know, people will plan for days and weeks and even months for a vacation, for a destination. And our reasoning behind spending all of that time and effort studying up on it is because we're going to spend ten whole days there. Ten whole days. You've got to know about a place if you're going to stay there ten days. How much do we know about the place where we're going to spend eternity if we're a child of God? How much time and effort do we spend in learning about what God's Word says about heaven, what it's going to be like, what we're going to do when we get there? That's what we're talking about here. What if I were to give you a travel brochure that all it says was this? Come spend a week in beautiful Osbornia. It's perfect. Only $3,000 a couple. By the way, that's a bargain. If anybody's interested, you can stop by the information desk and make the check out to Mike Osborne. 
No, we, this doesn't tell us much, does it? That's not the thing that's going to attract us to this destination. You know, a picture would be helpful, wouldn't it? A brief description would be nice. I mean, the, the only thing we've got at all is that it's going to cost a whole lot of money, and it's beautiful and it's perfect. We want more than that. We want more description before we're going to commit to that. And yet, truthfully, for many of us, when we talk about heaven or we hear other people talk about heaven, what words come up? Oh, it's beautiful. It's going to be perfect. Perfect for who? I mean, if you're a beach person, are you going to love it as much as a mountain person? What do you mean by perfect? Joseph Stoll, who used to be president of Moody Bible Institute, he says it's fascinating that the most important, the most strategic, the most enduring place in the universe gets so little attention. He said the moon and Mars get more press than heaven does. So what's heaven going to be like? Now we're going to talk more about that next week, but let's touch that this week as we go along, as we try to know our destination. One of the things we do know about it is God built it. Tells us in Scripture that when we're talking about heaven, we need to understand that the Bible uses heaven in three different ways. And so in, when you read it, when you read the word heaven in Scripture, you're not always talking about the same thing. You have to read it in its context. Because sometimes in the Bible, we use the word heaven to describe the atmospheric heaven. In other words, kind of the easy way to think about it, if you went outside this morning and looked up and you see the clouds and you, you see the birds in the sky, maybe you see an airplane going by overhead, that's the atmospheric heaven. In Genesis 1.20, Scripture says that God created the birds and told them to fly through the sky in the expanse of the heavens. And then it also uses the word heaven to describe the celestial heavens. That's the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets and the galaxies. It's what we sometimes talk about, outer space. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 17, that God put the sun and the moon into the expanse of heavens to light the world, the earth. But then there's a third way that Scripture talks about heaven. And that is as the dwelling place of God. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 28, as Daniel's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, he says to him, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. That's what we're talking about this morning. Not the atmospheric, not the celestial, but the dwelling place of God. That place that God prepared, that God built that God has for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes and he says, If this tent, our earthly bodies, are destroyed, there's a building not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. That's what God has in store for us. And later on in that 16th verse of Hebrews that we started off with today that talks about them desiring a better country, a heavenly one, 
the end of that it says, and God has prepared a city for them. And so God gives to us the imagery, the understanding that we can kind of grasp a hold of. He talks about it is a building, it is a city, it is a country. But the main thing to remember in all of that is that it is real and that the master builder is God. So that's our destination. But if we're going on a journey, particularly to another country, it helps to, to know the currency, doesn't it? To know that what the currency is and to know the exchange rate that goes along with it. The first mission trip that Sue and I ever took was to England. I had an invitation to come to England and do a crusade. And we thought, man, this is great for our first overseas mission trip. You'll go to England, everybody speaks the same language we do, and everything's very similar. Well, I'm going to tell you it's not. First off, they don't speak the same language at all. Poor Sue didn't understand anything anybody said to her all week long. And then when it comes to the similarity, well, just take things like weights and measures and all of that. When you're talking about distance over there, they talk about things like thousands and chains and furlongs and leagues. Not sure what any of those are. And then when it comes to weights, they've got grain and stone and quarter and hundredweight. And by the way, if you're talking hundredweight, you've got to know whether they're talking about a long hundredweight or a short hundredweight. Now they've mixed up distance and weights all together. And then you get to currency. And in currency, they got a half penny, a five pence, which, by the way, replaced the shilling, which was also known as the bob or the hog. And then, just to confuse everything American, what's their main unit of currency? The pound. Just to totally confuse us. I had one poor young man, young college student that went with us on that trip. He never did figure it out. In fact, we'd go somewhere into a store, anywhere to buy something. He'd just reach in his pockets and take out all the money he had, and he would hold it out and say, take whatever you think you need. <laughs> and then it helps to know the exchange rate when you're going to a different country. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I took several mission teams over to Romania and when we were going over to Romania, Romania's economy was just, uh, it had just tanked out, bottomed out, and uh, things were horrible. In fact, the, the currency there was the loo at that time, and the loo exchange rate was 34,700 loo equaled one U.S. dollar. You want to talk about sticker shock? Go into a McDonald's and order the number one big back bill, and the cash register rings up 173,500. I mean, you know it's not dollars, but it still kind of throws you off to see that show up on a cash register. Well, what's the currency when we're talking about heaven? The currency is faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. How do we draw near to God? How do we know him? In faith, it says. That's our currency. And what's the exchange? We exchange sight for faith. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, we live by faith and not by sight. But as we say that and as we talk about that, you know, there are people who say, 
well, you know, I just need proof. In fact, so many of us, Christian and non-Christian alike, kind of live by that old motto of, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And in some things, that's probably fine, but when you're talking about eternity, when you're talking about the things of God, it's not accurate. See, we operate in the currency of faith, but faith is not without proof. Look at this quote from uh, Elton Trueblood. It says, Faith is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation. You see, I trust in a God whom I know has totally transformed and changed my life. I know who I was and I know who I am now and I know who did it. It was God. And I trust Him in that and I trust Him in eternity. And I trust what He says about heaven. So it's not, you know, faith is not without proof. It's trust without reservation. So we're going to look at learning about our destination. We're going to look at understanding the currency. And then we're going to figure out, if we're traveling, how do we get there? How to get to our destination. You know, we may plug it into the GPS. may look it up on Google Maps. But we're going to figure out how to get there. In fact, we're going to figure out, is it better to fly or to drive? Is it better to go straight down the interstate? Or would this trip be better with maybe meandering through the country roads? We're going to figure out the best route for us. Well, what's the route to get to heaven? Well, Randy described that so beautifully in his part of his sermon series on the promises of God. See, in John chapter 14, Jesus was talking to his followers and he said, told them, he said, I'm going back to the Father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Thomas was kind of confused by all of that. And Thomas asked him, he said, how are we going to know how to get there? And Jesus' promise, Jesus' answer was, I am the way, the truth, in the life. No one's coming to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, and he's the only way. You know, when we go to visit our grandchildren who live in Winchester, I can go straight up 95 north to Fredericksburg and pick up 17 and go on in right into Winchester. Except sometimes, well, you know how 95 is sometimes. And so sometimes we actually go up Route 1 to Fredericksburg and pick up 17 and go into Winchester. But sometimes the problem is with Fredericksburg and Route 17 right there. And so we'll go 64 west to 81 north and go right into Winchester. All of them are routes that will get you there. And so on any given trip, I'll look at what the traffic it looks like. I'll kind of factor in what time of day we're leaving. And I'll choose the best route for me. But you see, what we're talking about here with heaven is not that Jesus is one of the viable routes. He's not even one of the better routes. He's not even one of oh, the best route. Jesus is the route. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You don't get to heaven except by faith in Him. Again, our currency is faith. Faith is trust. We trust in Jesus. 
And so then we need to figure out the cost. Let's determine the cost of getting to our destination. You know, when you're planning a trip, you don't go without figuring out some idea, some estimate of what it's going to cost you. I mean, when you go, are you going to stay in the Ritz-Carlton or are you going to stay in the Econo Lodge? It's going to make a difference, isn't it? Are you going to stay in the Four Seasons or are you going to stay in Mama Dingers? It makes a difference. What's the cost? Well, in our world, in our culture, the prevailing thought when it comes to heaven is, what does it cost to get to heaven? I've got to be good. Or at least I've got to be more good than bad. If I can live a life that kind of weights the scales in the favor of good so that I've got at least a little bit more good than I have bad, then I'll make it to heaven. If I try real hard all my life to be good, and if I'm good enough, I'll get to heaven. As I said, that's a prevailing thought. But it's inaccurate. You see, you don't be good to get to heaven. Now, there's nothing wrong with being good. In fact, we are created for good works. That's what God desires of us as His children to go out and to do good. But good's not what gets us to heaven. See, the cost of heaven has already been paid. Jesus did it for us when He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. In fact, Scripture tells us that no one's good enough but Jesus. And so we have to understand. We're not going to get to heaven until we truly understand that the cost has been paid. We're not going to get to heaven until we truly understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're not going to get to heaven until we are willing to trust in that and accept that in faith and receive the invitation because that's what it is. Christ died for us, and now He offers to all of us the invitation to come, to receive the gift, to be saved, to be forgiven for our sins, and to spend eternity with Him in heaven. But until we understand that, until we accept that, we're never going to be ready for heaven. So when we think about heaven, you know, how much do you really think about heaven? For the average person, and even for the average Christian, I would say that most folks would have to be honest and say, really not that much. Now those of us who have gotten older, we probably think about it a little more now than we did when we were younger. But we still don't think about it all that much. And the truth is, a lot of times when we do think about it, it's erroneous in what we're thinking because it's based on a joke or a cartoon or a TV show or a movie or even our own personal preferences. Because truth of the matter is, kind of what we want, what our desire is, is for heaven to be more of whatever we like best here, isn't it? I mean, if you're a golfer, what you'd really like heaven to be is just the world's, the universe's greatest golf course. One where you could shoot eagles every time you got on the hole. Or maybe you're a person who, again, likes the beach, and so you want it to be a beach where 
Nobody gets sunburned and sharks don't attack and jellyfish don't sting. I had a little boy in my church in Roanoke when I pastored up there and he, he came by to visit me sometimes at the church just to talk. He was seven or eight years old and we got into all kinds of discussions. But he's by one day and we're talking and he says, Preacher, I got a question. I went, all right, what is it? He said, you think Mima will cook the fried chicken when we get to heaven? <laughs> See, this little boy couldn't think of anything grander, better, more spectacular than if his Mima could make the fried chicken. Nobody can do it better. See, that's his preference. And that's kind of the way we are. We get to thinking about heaven and we throw all of our preferences in there. But the truth of the matter is, heaven is going to be far more than that. You know, God gives us a picture. He, I, I, I call it teasers. God gives us teasers about heaven because we can't comprehend what it's all going to be like. And so he gives us those little glimpses into it. Randy Alcorn, in his book on heaven, says, If heaven is anything you can imagine, then it's nothing. Heaven's far beyond anything you or I can imagine. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Made for another world. Do you realize heaven was created for us? We were made for that world. And that's why when we're in this world, we have those moments when, you know, we, we know it's, we're longing for something more, something better, something different. That's that longing for heaven for which God created us. But it's not automatic that we go there. It is by invitation based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The invitation is extended to all of us, but you ever thrown a party and not everybody you invited came? Not everybody's coming to this one. Not everybody's going to accept the invitation that God offers. But the good news for us is he offers it to us freely. How are you going to respond? What are you going to do? You see, if you're getting ready to take a journey, particularly if you're going overseas, you want to make sure you got your travel documents in order, don't you? My son called me the other day all excited because he's getting ready to go on a mission trip, a fact-finding trip for, with some pastors to Iceland. And he called me back the next day and he goes, I just realized my passport has expired. i got to get busy. Because see, he didn't have the travel documents ready to go to Iceland. And there's some of you sitting in here today that don't have your travel documents ready when it comes to eternity. You see, some of us in here today are headed to heaven. And some of us aren't. What's the difference? Some of us have accepted the gift God's offered, and some of us haven't. Some of us have our travel documents ready, and some of us don't. 
Which are you? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for that place that you prepared. We thank you, Father, for the building, the city, the country you have built, for your children, for those who in faith, Lord, have accepted who you are and what you've done for us. Father, I pray this morning, I pray for those that are here that have never responded to that invitation. To those, Lord, who have never uh, realized that the cost has been paid, and that Jesus has done it for them, and they can't do it themselves, Lord. Their only hope is Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Father, may today be the day they respond to that call, to that invitation, to that gift. Lord, even now as they sit here and they feel something in their heart that they really can't explain, Lord, may your spirit convict them and help them to understand that that's you. That's you tugging at their heart, tugging at their lives. It's you and your desire to see us saved, Lord. You're reaching out to them. May they respond to you today. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and for what he did on the cross. And Father, we ask now that you would just draw us ever closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.